We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 39 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And it's been a wild ride since we did a show with our New York Mets. A tough series in Chicago, a bounce back at home against the Nationals, who are without Juan Soto. Needed the Mets to capitalize, and they absolutely did. So we got a fun show today. Joe and I are going to give our each give our three stars of the last week, maybe something that'll become a staple on the That's So Mets podcast. And then we're going to spend a lot of time answering your questions. It's that time of the year. Everybody's looking at different things, whether it's the draft, whether it has to do with the Mets, who are you worried about and, and who you're not. So an exciting show. It is NFL draft week, so there's a lot of attention there, but we are not going to shy away from covering our Mets. Joe, how are we doing? Doing really good, Connor. We got a special Monday edition because you're you're heading out. I am. I am headed out. Uh, we are doing our NFL draft coverage for Bleacher Report, which will be live all three days down in Atlanta. So this will be, oddly enough, the first trip I'm on since I got home from this combine last year. I did not travel during the pandemic until now. So uh, this is a little different timing. It's a little bit earlier show, but it also is kind of nice, Joe, because the Mets are off on Monday, so we actually are not sitting here recording as like first pitch is about to be thrown or in the middle of a double header. It's nice to be recording a show again while the Mets are not playing today. Yeah, it's it's definitely a lot different because, you know, we're watching. We're like, well, it's the fourth inning. And is Taiwan Walker going to get out of this first and second two outs thing? We'll see. And at the end of the day, people are listening to it hours after the game is over or the next day. So it's really kind of irrelevant. So it definitely works out being able to do it on, you know, an off day. So your schedule worked out for the best. So the Mets are the only team in the NL East with a winning record, which is kind of jarring, but it is so early and they've played the least amount of games. They are nine and eight. And then you have the Phillies, the Marlins, Braves and Nationals are really all all of these teams are within, you know, two games of each other, three games of each other, not even. So it's it's been a slow start for the East and everybody's kind of dealing with various injury issues. Like I opened the show saying the Nationals are without Soto, but everybody has one of these injuries, at least at a minimum. So a lot of different things are going on and the Mets go to Chicago and have a rough go of it where outside of the 2015 postseason, it just always feels like things are a disaster in Wrigley for them. Uh, and, it, you know, they didn't have their top guys on the mound, and that's not an excuse. It, they didn't play well it, defensively, not hitting. A little bit of a bounce-back series against the Nationals. It, just quick takeaways overall from a wide lens, Joe, before we get into our three stars of the week. I hate Chicago. Ugh. It, like you said, it's always a disaster there. They played like the Bad News Bears. That defense was, it was Little League. It was absolutely atrocious. 
they couldn't have gotten out of there any faster. And I was glad that they were able to come home, take two out of three, obviously on the back of DeGrom, which I don't even know what, what to say about him at this point. Like what, what words can you use to describe how amazing Jacob DeGrom is? It's, it's very difficult to put into words. And then obviously Stroh had the tough start on Saturday and then Taiwan Walker had a nice bounce back after his tough go uh, against Chicago. And by the way, great move by Walker when he was getting pulled out of the game to fight the ump as he was leaving the game and get ejected. Like that's that's the ultimate move. Get ejected as you're already leaving the game. But all in all, <laughs> so funny. <laughs> but but all in all, you know, a, a mez a mez, so so weak for the Mets, but they're able to rebound and it's a what have you done for me lately world and you know, the weekend was better than, you know, midweek. So hopefully after today, they have a tough series with Boston coming through. And, you know, we'll we'll see how, how we're feeling next week. But that's the fun of this show now is we're going to be able to go week to week on how we're feeling. You know, the Mets could go five and one in a week. They could go three and three, you know, or anything. So we'll be able to have reactions each week based on how they're playing. Yeah, it, totally. And I think when you look at it, it's funny that we opened the show, you know, five minutes into it and we didn't even really mention Jacob DeGrom. Joe and I off the air made a rule that Jacob DeGrom is so good. He was not allowed to be either of our stars in this. That's just the rules. It's not it's too obvious. You know, it's coming. It's really remarkable. And I don't expect him to keep this up because it's it literally impossible. I don't, no one's ever kept up a pace like this, but that. His stuff keeps getting better, and he keeps getting better, and he just has this totally different dimension he's reached. And it's not just on the mound, although on the mound, it's really unbelievable. But at the plate, he looks confident as a hitter. He looks more confident than half the guys in the Mets lineup when he gets up to the plate. I just, I've really run out of things to say about Jacob DeGrom, but I will leave it with this. For how excellent this guy has been really since he got to the Mets, to the majors in 2014, it's great that he is getting the national recognition that he has deserved for so long. I mean, this is really the peak of his recognition right now, and he's already won two Cy Youngs, but it feels different this time, and I don't know if it's because of the strikeouts. I don't know if it's because he's hitting 100 plus miles an hour on the gun deep, deep, deep into games, whether it's the big at-bats, whether it's just that people care about the Mets right now on a national level because they are expected to compete. They've made big additions around him. Steve Cohen's bought the team. Jacob deGrom is a superstar, and he very well could be the biggest star in New York right now. Him and Julius Randle. I, I really, there's I don't even see anyone else in the argument. Like you could say Artemi Panarin, and I'm I'm a as diehard a Rangers fan as it comes, but as a whole, the interest in hockey just doesn't equate to what the Knicks and the Mets get. I know not anymore. I think they've come to realize it, but there was a time Yankees fans wanted Garrett Cole, who's been amazing as well in the conversation. He's not Jacob DeGrom. It's just interesting that this guy, this quiet, to an extent, Southern chilled back kind of guy in a sport where it's been better for superstars getting recognition in recent years, but it was a problem for quite some time. He's like this silent assassin in a way, and I I'm just enjoying it so much right now. 
so much more than ever. And I don't know if it's because the Mets have a good team around him. I don't know if it's because, especially when Carrasco and Syndergaard are back, this is a formidable rotation, or just because this guy has a legitimate chance to go win his third Cy Young. And I know it's taboo to even discuss the chance of him surpassing Seaver as the greatest Met pitcher of all time, but it's about time we start talking about it. Jacob deGrom can go down as the greatest New York Met of all time, and I'm not going to get too far down that road, but I'm just enjoying this so much right now. Yeah, exactly what I was just going to say. Enjoy, just enjoy watching Jake pitch every fifth day. You know, once once all things are set and done, we'll be able to have that conversation. But the fact that we're even talking that he could be in the same breath as Tom Seaver, even if he doesn't surpass him, just speaks to how amazing Jacob deGrom has been. And it, it's a story that you're not going to see. I mean, this is a story that doesn't happen. I mean, he basically wasn't a pitcher until his last year at Stetson. He posted an ERA, I think, of like 4-6 or 4-7, struck out almost nobody. He was just a shortstop for his whole, you know, college career. Wasn't and, throwing a hundred. <laughs> yeah, was no. So I'm, I'm even gonna get him further into that. So he wasn't throwing that hard. He was athletic. Mets took him in the ninth round as you know a cheap draft signee. They signed him for cheap, and he needed Tommy John surgery basically right away. So he gets Tommy John surgery. I see Jacob Degrom in person for the first time in 2013 when he's in Double A Binghamton. And I'm at the park, you know, trying to figure out who I want to interview. I knew the name DeGrom as a draft pick, but I, I didn't really have much interest in talking to him, to be totally honest at the time. I didn't think much of him. I watched, I went for a whole series here in New Britain, Connecticut. I watched him pitch game one. He was 90 to 92, maybe touched 93 here and there. And I remember talking to scouts and they're like, yeah, that DeGrom, future reliever. You know, maybe if you put him in the bullpen, he'll be able to tick up to 96 or 97 here and there in short spurts. Like that was kind of the the, the thought in the scouting community. And I remember Dylan G pitching game two, and I'm like, Dylan G is a different level beast than this DeGrom guy. And I don't, I really, I really would love to have a conversation with DeGrom just to get really to brass tacks of like what changed. Because in 2013, in Double A, Degrom had 10 starts and had a 4.80 ERA, and struck out only 44 batters in 60 innings. So, like, he's striking out a million guys now, but it's just a guy that was an athlete that was so new to pitching and a late bloomer. And I think that's going to prove to be the Mets' benefit. He's going to be able to pitch, you know, longer into his career age-wise than most pitchers may. And I think that's because his arm is, quote-unquote, fresh. So it's just amazing to watch him pitch every fifth day. I saw him in person with the hair and everything and thought, just the guy. And holy moly, did he prove me wrong. He's got a little bit, and I know this is just complete hyperbole, but he's got a little Tom Brady to him where it's like, he was drafted in the ninth round. There were no expectations for him at all. Brady was drafted in the sixth round, and they both just have this side of them that you don't see in terms of their work ethic, where they are maniacs. They are truly driven to a level that just not many human beings on planet Earth are. 
they they just that's the way they are. They work at a different level. They work in the dark, right? And Brady's changed over the years, understandably. He's maybe the greatest quarterback of all time. So, you know, era of social media, which is people running his social media, he is a little bit more public facing now. But back in the day, and DeGrom is like this, you, you just didn't see it, right? You didn't realize that this guy was working at his craft almost every hour of every day in a way. And... At the same time, DeGrom did unlock, just like Brady, they unlocked a different talent in the pros than what they had in college for DeGrom, than what he had early stages in the minors. They just unlocked something different with their talent. And it's a joy to watch underdogs like that. I sit here saying that as a Jets fan. Like, sure, Tom Brady ruined most of my football fanhood existence growing up, but you can appreciate greatness from a place that there were never expectations of it. And that's what DeGrom has become. And, and it's funny you say that about being around him. Uh, DeGrom came to the Bleacher Report office once, and this was many years ago. I can't even remember. He was already good, but not obviously this. I don't think he had won a side young yet. He came with Cindergard, And we had like a Papa shot basketball hoop. And I kid you not, of course, they had a lot of people with them. Like they're, you know, they were young on the come up stars of of New York and they were doing something that was like a hair segment. It was funny. It was silly, but it was funny. And I just remember like when and I've been around this enough, you know, they get rushed one place and rushed out and they were trying to leave. And DeGrom is standing there and I was like five feet from him. He's standing there in the back. I think there was like me, him and like maybe one other person. And he's just shooting the Papa shot like intensely into it like he had to just keep drilling shot, And they're trying to leave. And I'm sitting there, and I'm a Mets fan, and I was really young at the time. And I'm looking at him like, this guy would compete at anything. Literally anything you put. Whether it's Papa Shot, whether it's pitching, I'm sure he's like that in whatever. Yard games, cards. I know in David Wright's book, he mentioned that they always played cards, and DeGrom was in that crew. He just has a different level of competitor in him. And it, it's just, it's amazing to see. So... With that being said, and I, I'm looking forward to talking about Jacob DeGrom like this for a long time to come as he ages like a fine wine. Three stars of the week. I'll start with my first one and then toss to you, Joe. I, I'm going to go with Miguel Castro because, quite frankly, you know, this trade last year, and I, I'm pretty sure we were doing a pod when the trade went down because I remember you breaking down like this guy has a lot of great stuff, but his control comes and goes. People were pissed about trading a prospect for him. I don't know where the Mets bullpen would be right now without Miguel Castro. And I, at some point, we're going to have to figure out what Jeremy Hefner is doing because a light has come on with this guy where it's not just he has really good stuff. He understands how to use it. He's pitching with a fire. He's pitching in high leverage situations, and he is getting really, really big strikeouts. And I have really enjoyed watching Miguel Castro thrive in a bigger role this year. Miguel Castro, I tweeted this today. The game changer for me is his changeup that he's using. Because when I watched Castro pitch last year, and I'll, I'll be totally honest, it was the first time I didn't watch Castro pitch with the Orioles. I just was able to look up things that he's done, video stats, all that stuff. But first time I watched him was with the Mets and he was just a fastball slider guy and the fastball command comes and goes, the slider command comes and goes. And now he has a changeup, which he's 
used to miss a lot of bats in the early going. And then he's so far located the fastball fine, and his slider is still his you know number one put-away pitch. But he's used the changeup to get strikeouts this year. And if he's able to effectively have those three pitches, Miguel Castro can be huge for his team. Like He could be the second-best reliever in this bullpen, even with Seth Lugo. He's that talented. He misses bats at that rate. He just needs to, if he could stay consistent with his location, which he was in spring and he has been so far early on. So I assume there was some mechanical adjustment done by Jeremy Hefner. I doubt Miguel Castro just magically was like, I'm going to decide to throw strikes now. Uh, But man, he's off to a killer start. And, you know, it's one of those trades that Brody made that maybe we'll look back on and say, that one wasn't so bad. So with my... uh, what I'll go with for my third star or first first star, whatever, we're counting down. So my third star, and maybe star is a bit of a a bit of a stretch with him, but I'm going Michael Conforto. Uh, I really think you've seen him turn the corner since the Chicago series. He should have had a home run there, and he had one obviously in, in the national series. So he should have had a couple home runs, and he's just hitting the ball hard this week. He's hitting the ball to all fields again. So to me, Conforto looks like he's getting out of that early funk. You know, he hasn't hit 500 for the week or whatever the case may be, but you see a sign of him coming back to life. And we knew it would come, but I'm just glad that it seems like he's turned the corner maybe a little quicker than maybe this time last week we thought he may. He might just be a slow starter at this point. I genuinely wonder. And I know last year was not the case and it's different but traditionally year after year there's just a lot of these guys that they're just slow starters and and it it was a tough beginning for Conforto and it's glad to see yeah you're you're definitely seeing him start to turn the corner just more power in his swings you're seeing him drive the ball even the outs he's made he's starting to drive the ball and they're gonna need him they're really gonna need him because we're going to get into it, but besides, you know, Nimmo and, and some other guys, they, they need Michael Conforto to hit because this lineup has been struggling. My second star, it's because of his bounce back star on a, ni- a day they needed one. It's Taiwan Walker. I-, I know things were rough in the previous outing, but man, seven shutout innings. Wasn't striking a lot of people out, was letting guys on base and just found his way out of it. Got some help from his defense. Good. Guys deserve you. You want that as a pitcher. He said it's great. Uh, he clearly got a little boost of adrenaline after the Almora catch because he came out in an inning after that where no one thought he'd be on the mound and just cruised. So Taiwan Walker to take some more pressure off the bullpen, give them at seven scoreless, a series they had to win. They had to win that series. It, it was really good to see. And, and Taiwan Walker is showing that when things are right with this rotation, He's just a really, really rock solid number four, number four or number five starter for them. So I'm I'm very pleased so far. Should be pleased with Walker. I mean, he, he's not a guy that's going to strike out a ton of batters. He's not going to strike out nine plus guys per nine innings. He's going to strike out probably a tick under that. But he pitches to generally soft contact, and you just have to have the defense behind him, like having 
Albert Almora obviously was a big difference. And that's that's really how you're going to make Walker work best is make sure you have a good defensive lineup out there for him and let him just pitch the way he is. And the fact that he doesn't miss bats, you will see those bad starts like you saw in Chicago from time to time because he doesn't have the strikeout to really rely on. But all in all, like you said, Taiwan Walker is going to be a four or five kind of guy here once you know we get Syndergaard and Carrasco back here in the not too distant future. So he's an awesome guy for the Mets to have. And the fact that he went seven innings was really big to me because he hadn't been he hasn't thrown many innings. So the ability that he was able to be pushed to seven and not get gassed out, I think was a good sign for Walker going forward the rest of the year. And my second star, we've mentioned him now. I'm going to give a rub to Albert Almora. I mean, yeah, he hasn't hit. He really isn't probably going to hit. But Series changing catch. Yeah, but series changing catch. And, you know, he's a guy that maybe he becomes that late inning replacement where Kevin Pilar has been used as it. Maybe Al Moore is the guy that you should be turning to more consistently late in game to get in center field. So he's not a star as far as, you know, he's not going to whack three home runs in a series or do anything like that, but he's going to be a valuable member off this bench to alleviate some of the de- the defensive concerns that the team has. Final star for me, like we said, no DeGrom, so don't be surprised there. It's Pete Alonzo, and... This lineup has really underwhelmed. They have not hit home runs, which has been really disappointing. Dom has gone into a slump after a hot start. Lindor hasn't gotten going. McNeil hasn't gotten going. Conforto might be snapping out of it, but man, we're, Conforto was brutal in the beginning. And Pete Alonso has just been pretty steady, honestly. He, and steady is unfair. The home runs Pete hits has to demoralize pitchers. It's embarrassing. He embarrasses pitchers the way these home... I mean, he literally hit them out of the stadium in Chicago, which was... I was sitting there dying laughing. But the one in City Field that went over the apple, it was just insane. It was absolutely insane. And That's a bomb. Yeah, that is it was a, literal a bomb. bomb. Yeah. And the reason that, you know, Pete is right now... Hitting a solid 267. That's good for Pete. 19 strikeouts and 70 plate appearances is not that crazy for Pete, honestly. It's really not. He's taking his walks, five home runs, and they've there's been mammoth shots in there. He's getting on base, playing good defense overall. Not bad. Not terrible. I just think with Pete. When he hits those home runs, it rallies the team in a different way than a lot of sluggers. It really does. And I I know last year was a really tough most of the see I hate calling it a season. I hate it. 60 games. And Pete was on fire for the last week of the season, but it was brutal getting going. I don't think that's the real Pete. I think he is just steady. A th- once Pete learns to stay away from the the garbage, and it looks like he has this year. You notice him laying off a lot more than we saw when he was pressing last year. He's just a constant threat. And I'll say it right now, Joe, I don't hate him hitting second or third in this lineup. I'd rather see Pete get way more at-bats. I would keep him at two or three. 
Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. I'm okay with where he's batting two, three, I mean, two, three, four, anywhere in those three. Obviously, you want to keep him in, in that spot, but ride the hot streaks. Batting orders should be based on streaks. Like, you shouldn't have the same, you shouldn't have a quote-unquote set lineup. You should be riding streaks writing, you know, percentages based on, you know, we've talked about this in past episodes, like based on the pitcher that's on the mound. So keep J.D. Davis versus Corbin. (laughs) I don't I mean, I give J.D. a hell of a lot of credit because Corbin's a great pitcher, but he can't get J.D. Davis out. So like if Corbin ever does an interview somewhere and they ask him who the toughest hitter he ever faced is, if he doesn't say J.D. Davis, he's lying because J.D. Davis literally has his number. Uh, So my last star I, I can't throw Edwin Diaz on there just because of how that game at Wrigley ended, even though he had to go into the second inning, runner on second. Uh, but Edwin Diaz is always a star. And I, I, I tweeted yesterday, which Forever makes me laugh. It makes me laugh that in 2019, people wanted Diaz gone. 2020, he was awesome. People didn't buy it. Now you have fans pretending to play trumpets in the crowd when he comes out. So talk about a, uh, a change for Edwin Diaz. I've always been consistent. That's what I'll say. Uh, but, my, but my last star is Brandon Nimmo. I mean, he missed the day with the hip tightness and then came back and just did what he's been doing. He gets on base basically all the time. Uh, he's been hitting the ball, you know, decently hard too. had the home run. Uh, Nimmo is making things very interesting for this team going forward when you think about contracts. I know we've talked about that a bit last week, but man, he's he's absolutely on scorching fire. He'll eventually slow down to some degree, but the positive about a player like Nimmo is even if he slows down and isn't hitting you know 390 or whatever his batting average is now, his on-base skills are not going to go away. Even like that's what guys with eyes like Nimmo make such a difference because their slumps aren't lineup killers because you don't ever go into a slump with your vision or you know. So Nimmo's my guy. I'm I'm very excited with how he performed this week and obviously how he's performed for the entire season. Yeah, it's been it's really been a lifesaver for the Mets what Nimmo's done. And that's kind of goes back to why I say hit Pete, you know, two or three, because if Nimmo is just going to be this ridiculous at this point and just get on base at an alarming rate, you know, give Pete those chances to get him in. So Nimmo's made things very interesting around here. I'll say that he really has. I think when you look at it with what's going on with Conforto and the extension and if you let him walk or not, Nimmo might be so good this year that he makes that decision just a little easier for you. But I know you need two corner outfielders, and Nimmo's played center a lot of this year, but still, really, really uh, interesting. Going to be an interesting conversation down the road. So let's look at these questions. And this this uh, account always sends us great ones. From an insane Mets fan, 
When do you think we see Lindor go on a hot streak? There's no way he is a two a 200 average hitter. I'm not freaking out about Lindor. I, I am very bothered by the people losing their minds on Twitter that already regretting the contract, already saying he can't hit, already saying it's just so beyond ridiculous. And I, I understand Lindor hasn't looked right at the plate. He's not even making hard contact. He is not getting on pitches. It almost seems, and Joe, you could speak to this better. It almost looks like he's just like leaning back too much and he's just not barreling balls for the most part. Besides the home run and the one that he hit foul, that should have been a home run if it was just, you know, an inch to the left. Um, not a good start at the plate for Lindor. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, he's definitely, and I think Keith even mentioned this on the broadcast, is he's he just looks off balance. He doesn't look quite right. And that's, you know, a mechanical fix and something that, you know, hopefully him and Chili Davis could get together and, and hammer it out because, you know, to answer the question, when do I think Lindor will go on a hot streak? It could start tomorrow. Like, he is, there's a reason he got... $340 million. He is a game-changing superstar player that's had a rough go of it to start the year. I have no worries about, you know, I don't think it's a New York thing. I think it's just he's having some struggles out the gate that he needs to work through. So it could start tomorrow. Like Lindor, if you told me like tomorrow he hits two home runs and then he just goes on a streak for a couple of weeks, then, you know, that wouldn't shock me in the least. And I'm not prepared to have any concerns in regards to Lindor until I, I guess if he hits this poorly into like mid May, mm. no, mid, late May, like I'm not, you know, it won't be, you won't have me on here regret the contract, but you'll have me saying something isn't right with Lindor that he's had two months of being that poor. You have quite a bit of patience if you're willing to wait to the all-star break before you questions question a guy hitting 200 man it's just it's crazy even for superstars we've just seen first halves that don't make any sense like yeah i mean on his own team for a while remember the weird first half jose ramirez had two years ago oh yeah yeah i mean jose ramirez is, is one of the best hitters in baseball yep and i'm pretty sure in 2019 he was like barely playable in the first half of the season and then just went on a ridiculous tear in the second half. So I agree though. It's not something you want. It's we've seen it with Conforto in the past. Conforto's had miserable first halves of the year, but yeah, he's got to get it going and you're right. You would wonder if something was wrong because the guy, and I know it's spring training, but still the guy was a monster in spring training where you were almost sitting there laughing that a shortstop can hit like this. So, and and one thing I want to point out, um, that I think is a big positive to Lindor is despite him, you know, having an OPS under 600 so far, it has not impacted him in the field. It has not impacted him on the base bats and it has not impacted his attitude anywhere, his leadership. You see him like when they go to, when the catcher comes to the mound, their pitching coach Lindor is there talking as a leader. Lindor is, you know, talking to Conforto as a leader in the dugout to go through his struggles. So Despite Lindor's struggles of his own, he's able to compartmentalize that and not let it impact him in the field, in the locker room, or anything. So I think that's a huge credit to him because a lot of people, if you're struggling at the plate, it'll impact everything else. So he's able to break it out and say, I'm struggling right now at the plate. I'm going to figure it out. I've done it my whole life, my whole career. 
I'm, a, you know, he knows he's a great player. So he hasn't let it impact any other part of his game, which I think is massive because a lot of players it would. It's a great point. And he's still drawn more walks than strikeouts. Like he's drawn 10 walks already in 75 plate appearances. So at least he is getting on base in that. It's not like it's been just a colossal disaster, but you need the guy to get going and be one of your cogs offensively. So the next one from CHB8367, quite the username. If the draft were today, how would you feel about the Mets taking Sal Freelich? I definitely butchered that at number 10. Joe, I've never heard. I don't think I've heard of this player. Go ahead. Sal Frelick, uh, center fielder out of Boston College. Oh, I have. I have. I think I asked you about him because he was in Keith Law's top 50. And I was like, ooh, college player, outfielder, ready bat for the MLB. I do recognize this name. So right now, Sal Frelick, MLB Pipeline put out their most recent top 150 list. And Sal Frelick is number eight on the list. Um, He's having a massive season at BC. Uh, He's hitting 351, 433 on base. Uh, five, 11 doubles, a triple, five home runs, 22 RBIs, and nine stolen bases in 36 games. So he's having a massive year so far. Um, as far as his fit for the Mets, so he is a center fielder, so he'll be able to stick in center field. I don't have much of a concern there. Um, he has an above-average run tool. His hit tool has taken a huge step forward this year. You want to see it happen through the remainder of the season, but right now, Sal Frelick has really positioned himself to be a top 10 pick. Uh, I've seen a couple mock drafts over the last few days where he was gone by number 10. You know, he's a guy that I think Sal Frelick almost is, not, he's not quite as good defensively, but it's almost like if Pete Crow Armstrong was a college player. That's kind of what, what he reminds me of a bit. So I wouldn't hate the pick. You know, the Mets like to stay up the middle. We know that. Uh, we've talked about that ad nauseum. If you look at their history of first round picks for the last decade, it's typically a center fielder, or a shortstop, or a catcher or a pitcher. Like that's where they like to use their first picks. Um, so it's a get name that I think, you know, as we continue on, you know, we get, we get some draft questions every week and I'm always going to try to throw. So if you have draft questions, please ask them because I'll always throw a draft question in. Because, you know, I, I want to get people familiar with some names that could make sense at number 10. And then as we get closer to the draft in July, we'll obviously go full bore into it. But yeah, keep the draft questions coming. The next one from John from Albany. Any chance for previewing minor league rosters? Mauricio to Binghamton. Will he play shortstop or third base? Vientos to move to first base. Lot to unpack there, Joe. Run away with it. Yeah, so the rosters... So typically I have a good feel for the rosters. The unfortunate part is everything's being very tight lipped at minor league spring training down in St. Lucie. Like you don't really know much of what's going on as far as Mauricio. I don't know that they'll push him to Brooklyn. Uh, I'm sorry to Binghamton. I have the expectation that he will be in Brooklyn and I do think he'll play shortstop and you know, they'll dabble him at third base. And I've heard second base and left field also as a possibility just to get him some versatility. But I think primarily you'll have him play shortstop and have him really put that bat together before you worry about his kind of future position. And Vientos, uh, Kevin Howard, who's now one of the heads of player development, said, you know, Mark Vientos has been very impressive and he's going to play a mix of third and first. So he's going to play both positions. Vientos is the one that I think has a chance to start in double A. 
more so than Mauricio. Hmm. All right. We'll definitely keep tabs on the minors throughout this. Oh show. yeah. No, the se- like- the season, the yeah. season starts in like two weeks. So, um, the minor league season is just going to be upon us really quick. All right. This one is from JMD Connor scout for us. What position would the Mets starting lineup play if they were in the NFL draft? So I'm guessing I'm assuming and correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, this means what position would the players in the lineup play in football? Right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So yeah, I'm pretty I'm gonna, sure. Yeah. I'm going to say, well, Alonzo is going to have to play Mike linebacker six, three, two forty five. We need him in the middle of the field. And then next to him is going to be James McCann because that's about as much NFL size as this lineup really has. So McCann and Pete are in the middle at linebacker. And then there's a lot of guys. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with. I know Conforto was, I think he played football and I think he, he's only six, one, two Now Conforto is going to play safety. That's a no brainer. Absolute no brainer. And, and probably wide receiver. If he has to play both ways, I don't have a lot of options here. So, I mean, we're really Lindor, we're Lindor could come out of the slot. Slot Lindor, receiver Frankie Lindor's Lindor. Gonna, yeah, he's going to be the ultimate weapon, offensive weapon. Pass catching running back, slot receiver. I, JD is a sneaky 6'3", 220. So I got my three linebackers. I actually feel good about the middle of the field. Pete McCann and JD. I don't know what I'm going to do with Dom. Dom's got a weird football body. Six. I know he's lost a lot of weight, but he's still... He's still a thick Dom's going to be my running back, I guess, because he's a little more fullback than actual running back. McNeil's a really good athlete. McNeil's actually someone that excites me at 6'1", 195. He's a little upright to play running back. So McNeil's going to play receiver and safety next to Conforto. I still don't have a quarterback. Honestly, you know, you're going to love. Well, you know who the quarterback is, Joe. It's a no-brainer. He said lineup, but I have to go outside the lineup to find the quarterback. Edwin Diaz. No, it's DeGrom. <laughs> <laughs> it's, DeGrom's a little skinny. Edwin Diaz would be like Christian Hackenberg at quarterback. Yeah, I don't think that would. You know, I wanted to go with Miguel Castro, but I had the same vibes. The yeah. funniest thing about Castro is that people don't realize he's six foot seven. Oh, yeah, he's huge. Is that not hilarious? I mean, he's a tall he's drink huge. of water. Yeah. He's a giant. He's like a small forward, Miguel Castro. I mean, I guess that's how he generates like unbelievable velocity on all of his pitches. But they said lineup. I'm not really supposed to use pitchers. I got to use the God DeGrom at quarterback. <laughs> There's no other choice. I think that's it for everyone. And besides Nimmo, who I just I don't know with Nimmo. I guess can we beef him up and get him to play tight end? Can Nimmo be like a corner, like a Nimmo's- boundary corner? Maybe, I guess he run the way he runs. No, <laughs> no corner runs like no cornerback runs like that. Just His play a Tampa two. Be, play it. Play a Tampa yeah, two. Yeah, he's be sitting fine. in a shell. All right, yeah. that's a fun question. The it makes you realize the Mets actually have like a big baseball team. They have like a, yeah. most of the players are six foot three, and then the weights just vary from like one ninety five to two fifty, which is the Mets, I've been saying this for a long time. And I'm I'm rooting for it. I really want the Mets to get into a giant brawl uh, if they need to. I want they have a giant team that is a little nasty. I think if things go if things go against them, I, I want a Mets brawl. 
this year. I really do. So something I'm rooting for. I hope when Syndergaard comes back, he really stirs the pot somewhere. All right, from Christopher Scholes, how come Almora hasn't gotten more playing time over Pilar? I would have thought he would have gotten a start against his former team. Pilar hasn't impressed with the bat and is, is better defensively. Does Almora get more of an even split going forward? Joe, what do you think of the the lack of playing time for Almora, especially now that he's uh, he's had his Mets moment in his in his big debut? Yeah, for me, I think the logic is Pilar has been a better player consistently. So you certainly want to get him the at-bats. He's been a better hitter. He hasn't been quite the defensive player of late at, than Almora, but Pilar's just been kind of all-around better. Certainly after that moment that Almora had, I bet you're going to see him in there a lot more than uh, than we've seen so far. So he's pr- he proved himself that he can step up defensively, and I think Louis Rojas will see that and say, all right, at minimum, we need to have Almora in center field defensively more late in games. Maybe it, I don't know if he'll have an even split as far as starting games with Pilar, but you certainly don't want either of them to be completely out of rest or, you know, or rest too much and not play at all. Like Almora, that was his first start, I think. So he's got to play a little more. Pilar maybe a little less, but I don't. I still think you'll see more Pilar because he's he's simply more proven of a player. And when it you know as as the season goes on, if Pilar continuous continues to not hit, then you know maybe you'll get more into more of a split with Almora, which is just so out of character for Pilar. Like he really can hit this guy for a fourth outfielder. I'm sure he's a little bothered he's not starting somewhere, but I mean. He really can hit, man. Like he, even in the shortened season last year, he hit 288. He had an awesome spring too. In spring, yeah, he was ex- he was he was, he was arguably the, best, the best hitter in the spring. Yeah, yeah. So Pilar's gonna hit. It's it is bizarre. He just hasn't. But it's also you're asking an everyday player to not play every day anymore, and that's something that guys don't always adjust to very well. And it's it's Pilar is gonna sink or swim with this adjustment. And I, I do think he's going to get right. I'm not really worried about him yet. I almost wonder though, with how, and I know this is a small sample, but he's been rough with Conforto and Rife. You could almost make the argument that the end of game should be Nimmo and left Almora and center and Pilar and right. I mean, it's been, Confor- I mean, Conforto has been fine defensively. What's going on with his arm. I mean, there's throws that he used to, yeah. I remember when he came up, I was like, this dude's got a cannon and, uh, one of my good cl- former close coworkers and a great friend of mine, Stephen Nelson, who is MLB Network now, he we were working at Bleacher Report together at the time with Conforto, and I think he covered him when he was at Oregon State. And he's like, "Dude, this guy's got a cannon. You're gonna lo- you're gonna love him. Like just an absolute missile th- missile arm in the outfield." And Conforto has, and this year it's just it's not even close. The throws. I I just think mentally he's in his own head a little bit early on. Yeah, I, I his arm is still there. Yeah, he didn't lose arm strength. He doesn't have like a plus arm he has an above average arm he's just been very accurate with it throughout his career and thus far that hasn't been the case i do wonder if unlike lindor he's taking his struggles at the plate with them into the field yeah and some people and it's not necessarily i mean it's a it's not a positive but it's not the end of the world more players are probably like that than like lindor where it's just like i'm not hitting oh well i'll figure it out and everything else you're, you have a clear mind, so Look at it's McNeil. a credit. It's a yeah. Like McNeil yeah. is a guy like that, where he's. I yeah. think he's a good second baseman. When yeah. he's not hitting, he he gets in his own head everywhere. Yep. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, he freaks out every time he flies out. So <laughs> McNeil has a short fuse on himself. I, I mean, as a, rel- as a relatively new golfer and how mad I get on the golf course, I can only imagine how mad Jeff McNeil gets on the golf course. <laughs> it's the most frustrating sport in the world. <laughs> well, it's a good thing he's like phenomenal at golf. Yeah, he's like, basically truly, a pro. Truly yeah. a phenomenal, phenomenal golfer. So um, let's hope that he gets back to being a phenomenal baseball player because I love Jeff McNeil. And it I, before I toss to you for my your closing thoughts, I'll give mine. This is the optimist in me. If this lineup turns it all on at the same time, like Nimmo is going to slump. And JD's not going to hit like this forever. And, you know, Pete, I, we'll see with Pete. I'm convinced Pete's going to be much more steady this year. But if two out of three of Lindor, McNeil, and Conforto get going, or should I say two out of four, add Dom into that, they, I mean, they can really be something special. And oh, yeah. here's Smoltz. I watched the Fox broadcast on Saturday because I won't get into my pick, current picks debacle, maybe for another day. But Smoltz was like gushing. He's like, this Mets lineup, he's like, it's going to take a little while. And he explained how difficult it is going to a new city, like the situation Lindor's in and McCann's in. He's like, this lineup is going to explode at some point. And I agree. Once this lineup gets going, the Mets are going to win 10 in a row. Like they're going to go on a run because they have the pitching to support it. Especially, you know, Carrasco's throwing bullpen sessions, throwing simulated games in the four innings. Uh, Rojas said by the he's they're penciling him in for the second week of May, so that puts him a couple weeks earlier than I thought he'd be. And you know, I mean, look at the calendar. The second week of May is coming up real quick, so he should be back in short order. And then Cindergard will be back come maybe early June. He threw an inning the other day, hit ninety seven, hit ninety seven. So all things are looking up for Carrasco and Cindergard and the rest of this pitching staff. So get the lineup together and. This team will go on. They'll they'll win. Like I'm saying, I think they will win ten in a row once they start getting going. All right, there you have it. A lot of optimistic thoughts around our New York Mets for episode 39. That's our show, and we'll catch you next week. Hey Connor, before we go, oh, I want to plot twist. I, yeah, I want to uh, give you the opportunity here because you know, yes, it's that so Mets podcast, but we know you. We talk about what the other things you do. You know, tell tell our listeners how they could find your NFL draft stuff this week. That it'd yeah. be wrong to not to Thank not you, do that for yourself. Jeez, I do appreciate that, and it's probably because I've just been uh, shouting it to the heavens on on radio shows. I've been doing stuff, but this is a good opportunity. If you're looking for, even if you're not looking for an alternate place to watch the draft, because you could have both of us on. Uh, Bleacher Reports coverage is live all three days: Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, we will be on the Bleach Report app. We will be on YouTube. We will be on Twitter. So get that iPad out, get that phone out, laptop, and give us a shot. It's me, Lefko. Akib Talib is my co-draft analyst this year, but we also got Reggie Wayne, RG3, Cam Jordan. I can't wait. And I'm doing, I'm also doing uh our our friendly, our friends at SMY. I am gonna be joining them for Jets pre and post-draft coverage. So Thursday night before I go on Bleacher Report, I'll be on SNY and then Sunday night live from six to seven, I will be on SNY. So I don't even know when the Mets play that day, but there's a chance that you could watch the Mets game and then I'll just be on 
your television talking about the Jets draft. So it never, it's truly remarkable. It, it never ends. I'm really thankful for it. And thank you. Um, Joe's been a good sport as my schedule this month has been a literal n- good nightmare. Like I love being busy and I love doing what I do, but navigating it is a wild ride this time of year. And I'm excited that as much as I love the draft and I never really want the draft season to end in, you know, about two weeks into May and then all throughout summer, there's just going to be a lot more opportunities for that. So Mets to do more uh, and we're going to do a lot more. And and I'm excited to have just bigger and better content around this brand. And, and especially as the Mets, we think are going to have a really good season. Yeah, can't wait to you know, get through the draft, see what your Jets do, see what my Dallas Cowboys do. And I pester you with draft questions all the time. So I uh, can't wait to get through it. And then, like you said, come, let's call it mid-May, late May, maybe between, right between Carrasco and Syndergaard's return, we'll uh, we'll work on some more That's So Mets content. And it's going to be a huge summer for us. All right, everyone. We'll catch you for episode 40 next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're Black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.